Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabe, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past. It continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Hey, Travis from Solidarity Winnipeg here with a quick pre-episode announcement. In this episode, Misha and I interview members of the Sex Workers of Winnipeg Action Coalition, or SWAC, and they have an upcoming event that we want to promote. On Friday, June 2nd, which is tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, SWAC is holding an event to celebrate International Whores Day. It's a protest against specific ways that the state oppresses sex workers, which you'll hear about in this episode. This event is an opportunity for folks to join sex workers in solidarity, like the name of this podcast. The event is taking place at 6pm outside the Manitoba Law Courts, which are located at the corner of York and Kennedy. You can check out SWAC's Facebook page for more information. We hope to see you there. And now our interview with Amy, Dallas, Katie, and Sarah from SWAC. Welcome to another episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. We're having a discussion today about uh, sex worker activism in Winnipeg and broadly. Um, and yeah, I'll just start off like a round of introductions. My name is Misha, um, uh, she, her pronouns. Um, I am a member of Solidarity Winnipeg. Um, Travis, do you wanna take it next? Sure, thanks. Um, I'm Travis, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm also a member of Solidarity Winnipeg. And uh, whoever would like to go next, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm Dallas. I am a full-time sex worker here in Winnipeg, um, and I've been a member of SWAC since like 2018. I'm excited to be here with my friends and, and colleagues who I'm going to uh, pass to right now to introduce themselves. Um, hello, I'm Amy. Um, I've been a sex worker and an activist for over two decades, and I've um, been a member of SWAC since I moved here to Winnipeg in 2019. I'll pass it to Sarah. Thank you, Amy. Um, so I'm Sarah. Um, I moved to Winnipeg in 2015 and quickly joined SWAC. Um, I am an ally to sex workers. Um, sex workers have always been part of my community and are part of my communities, and um, I love them. And uh, so that's why I'm a part of SWAC, and I'll pass it to Katie. Thank you so much, Sarah. My name is Katie. I've been a full-time sex worker for, for coming four years now and a member of SWAC, I think for a year and a half. 
Um, I do want to do a quick overview of PSEPA since we will be referencing it throughout the podcast. Uh, and that is the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. So PSEPA does a few main things. So what it does is it criminalizes communicating to and the buying of sexual services anywhere at any time. It also criminalizes sex workers from communicating in public places close to school, playgrounds, and daycare centers. I would like to add here that despite proponents of these laws suggesting that sex workers aren't criminalized anymore, the law still clearly targets sex workers. And moreover, I want you to think about why they include these particular areas in the law. What does this tell you about what they think about sex workers? Uh, it criminalizes those who host sex worker ads through newspapers, online websites, et cetera. And it also criminalizes third parties to receive proceeds from sex work, like receptionists, drivers, and those who book calls for us. And we're actually waiting for a decision from the Ontario Superior Court regarding a constitutional challenge we're leading against PSEPA and the government of Canada. Um, so one more note, I do want to briefly explain the differences between legalization and criminalization, because I think the differences can be a bit confusing. Decriminalization is what we are demanding from the Canadian government right now. So adults should not be arrested for their sexual choices, whether money is exchanged or not. Decriminalization or the removal of all criminal laws is the optimal option to ensure health, safety, autonomy, and rights for all. Whereas legalizing sex work would create a set of laws, codes, and regulations specific to the sex industry. So with the legalization of prostitution, people who buy or sell sex outside of these rules would be breaking the law and then subject to arrest. This would be especially harmful to immigrant, migrant and sex workers, people of color who sell sex, sex workers who have a criminal record, sex workers who use drugs, and honestly, the list goes on. Whereas decriminalizing sex work means removing all the laws surrounding sex work. We want them gone. So that includes our clients, those who assist us in our work, and the sex workers themselves. So we would then have the ability to hire help, be that driver, security, or someone who books our calls. We would also feel more secure in reporting any assault or violence that we see or encounter with our colleagues. Thanks, Katie. Uh, now I'll just touch up briefly on like what SWAC is and who we are. Um, so like we said, we're all members of SWAC, which is an advocacy group led by sex workers, but it also includes allies. So like researchers and public health people. And we aim to make sex work safer in Winnipeg. So some things that we're about, uh, we take initiatives to prevent violence and protect the human rights of sex workers in Winnipeg. And we operate on the belief that all of these actions must be informed and directed by sex workers based in harm reduction and evidence-based practices. We also believe in fighting exploitation and not sex workers, and we call for the full decriminalization of sex work. Uh, so like Katie just outlined, not Kasefa. Um, And so I'm gonna to touch um, uh, very briefly on what sex work is. Um, so sex work is an umbrella term um, that's used to describe various jobs. So it's the exchange of sex or sexualized intimacy for something of value. And while there are different kinds of jobs under the umbrella of sex work, so that could be like camming, in-person sex work, stripping. When we're speaking about the laws, we're referring to in-person sex work, whether that happens outdoors or indoors, because the laws specifically target that work. Um, and a little bit of history, um, the term sex worker was coined by the late American sex worker and activist Carol Lee, also known as Scarlett Harlot, and she did that in the 1970s. And it was in a deliberate attempt to unite sex workers of all genders and sectors of work. And 
using the term sex worker shows respect for the person and our human rights, and it recognizes choice. Thank you so much for getting us started and um, kind of overviewing some of these really important um, things before we get into the conversation. I think the first question will probably, um, you know, go over some things that you have already said, but, you know, we often hear, uh, or there's often a portrayal of sex work as like a morality issue in, uh, you know, in the media by different government laws and that kind of thing. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how this, um, like moralistic framing kind of creates barriers for sex workers' safety and ability to organize, um, and kind of how, uh, thinking about sex work as a labor issue, um, or as, you know, uh, or thinking about sex worker activism from a, um, perspective of sex work is work, um, kind of changes this. Sure. Um, if I can get that one, um, one of the barriers that I find extremely harmful is the inability to work together with colleagues. So I'm currently going through a legal dispute now that stems from pooling resources to pay for an in-call, uh, helping each other with ads and communication to make sure that we're safe after we see clients and also to assist with screening. There's so much talk about BASEPA trying to strive, striving to keep us safe, but the end goal is clearly to do away with sex work, to make us so uncomfortable that we have to choose, in quotes, to leave as well as being unable to clearly and openly talk about what our boundaries are with clients, um, whether that be discussing the use of condoms or what our hard no's are. Um, So without being able to discuss expectations, we're opening ourselves up immediately to violence. Uh, SWAC created a bad date list in 2017 uh, where sex workers could log in and leave their experiences with bad clients. So along with their client description, they could also include cell phone numbers and the license plate if applicable. Unfortunately, we were never able to include full phone numbers due to fear of being sued by these clients. So even when we attempt to warn workers, our hands are immediately tied. Um, We can look at the murder of Marilyn Levesque in Montreal. Uh, Marilyn was murdered by a man that was granted day parole after beating his wife to death with a hammer in 2006. So this man, I'm not going to name him, was told to avoid romantic relationships, but then was encouraged to see sex workers. Well, he was marked as a risk to reoffend, and he did. He killed her. And it's shit like this that we should not be, that we should be used to protect women and people who aren't sex workers from rape or abuse. It makes me feel completely disposable. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So I think sex workers, just like other workers, deserve access to labor rights, deserve not to be criminalized for working. Um, This really isn't something hard to grasp, right? And yet here we are in 2023 with a set of laws as Katie went over PSEPA, which literally criminalizes every aspect of our working lives and our personal lives, right? We have police across the board. So across Canada, but specifically here in Winnipeg, um, which have narrated our work, um, sex work in the media has narrated what sex work is. Police, uh, police have done that with the media. Um, they told the media what sex work is and on their website and in their trainings, right? And what that is, is that they view sex workers, all of us as exploited and our clients are the exploiters, period. There is no place for anything in between, which brings um, another sort of point here that I want to raise 
something else that we struggle with in terms of our organizing is the balance between seeking labor rights and talking about the good, the bad, the ugly in our work, and being able to, without being either called a happy hooker or someone who's exploited, right? So often we aren't able to tell our true stories, especially the bad parts of this job, because often sex worker rights movement doesn't have space for that, um, but also for the fear that it fuels uh, sex work abolitionists. Thank you, Amy. Um, I also think that sex work and sex workers make a lot of people panic, like kind of touching on that morality piece. And people get stuck on the idea that no one would ever actually choose to sell sex and intimacy for money. Um, so sex work becomes this incomprehensible thing that is bad and scary, um, but also somehow something that should be punished and criminalized. So we see these kinds of attitudes everywhere, like from the Winnipeg Police Exploitation Unit in popular culture and in the values of organizations in Winnipeg and also across the world. Um, yet this panic around sex work actually clouds the fact that sex work is labor like any other. Moral panic doesn't provide direct services. It doesn't protect us. It doesn't keep anyone safer. So this kind of attitude uh, alienates sex workers from forming solidarity with labor movements and actual conversations about fighting exploitation in all work. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, our, our second question um, is just about, I guess, if, if you are able to outline some of the history um, of sex work in Winnipeg specifically, um, and then also maybe if you could talk a bit about how SWAC was formed, um, I think that would just help to give some, some more context. Absolutely. Um, some really cool uh, facts about the history of sex work in Winnipeg. Um, I would love to bring up our red light district that we had. Well, we had a several, but I'll talk about the um, Point Douglas red light district. So it started in, in 1904. Uh, the current police chief, John McRae, faced the fact that prostitution would be impossible to eradicate and determined that segregation of the profession would be the best solution. Um, this decision was then followed by crackdowns and evictions on Thomas Street, which is now Minto Ave. Um, and after 25 years, after 25 years of brothels operating openly. So that shutdown was due to mounting pressure from local residents and social reformers. So again, we always see the moral panic. Um, with that decision, the idea of the commissioners was to minimize the evil. As was said, instead of having these festering sores all over the city, to have one, one open wound in one locality and then gradually close it up by degrees. Um, McRae sought out Minnie Woods, a longtime madame, to help construct and encourage sex workers and brothels to relocate to the Point Douglas area on Rachel Street, which is now Annabella Street, and McFarland Street, with promises of not being harassed by law enforcement. So within days of Minnie agreeing to revert traffic to the specific area, it's assumed that Police Chief McRae tipped off John Beeman, who actually built the LaSalle Hotel, which is pretty neat. He was a real estate agent to the plan of the move, so he immediately bought up the majority of affordable housing. And on this deal, it's estimated that he made $70,000 in 1909, often selling houses for four times what they were worth. Well, this area was supposedly allowed to operate with less police harassment. In just over one year, 135 fines were handed out, with the third offense being $1,000. And again, $1,000 uh, nowadays would be, I think, roughly $26,000. This red light district, in quotations, closed in 1910 due to misplaced moral panic and media pressure. And then we can go on um, about the formation of SWAC. Thanks, Katie. The Bedford decision, I should talk a little bit, just name that and mention it because that is sort of um, 
one of the reasons that SWAC exists. So the Bedford decision um, was uh, in 2013, um, which challenged uh, the uh, then current laws, uh, prostitution laws that were in effect. Um, and it actually, um, the Supreme Court ruled in favor um, of the three uh, people who were challenging the laws. Um, and that's how we got the Bedford decision. And they, and so um, the prostitution, some of the prostitution laws that were very dangerous were struck down. Um, and so uh, the Canadian Alliance uh, for Sex Work Law Reform, uh, I believe formed, Amy, was it around that time? Yes. Um... Our Canadian Alliance, which is a, an alliance of all of our sex work groups across Canada, uh, yeah, it would have formed in uh, around the end of the when the decision was yeah yeah. So um, these like the the chapters, these sort of groups were um, joining together to create the Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Law Reform around that time, and there was a significant gap in the prairies, in the prairie provinces. Um, like there are, you know, lots of uh, sex worker sort of groups and organizations in all over Canada, like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. Um, there was one in Sault Ste. Marie, um, but like all over Canada and, and there was like this gap in the prairies. So um, a bunch of people um, got together and uh, like the sex workers um, who had allies, obviously, of like researchers and all the people that were named before and, and uh, decided to fill the gap with SWAC. Um, and so that was in 2013, 2014. Um, and then uh, SWAC came to be. Thanks, Sarah. Um... I just wanted to touch slightly on some more of the history also of sex work in Winnipeg generally. Um, so in the times uh, where red light districts were booming, the treatment of Indigenous sex workers, particularly women and queer sex workers, was much harsher than the punishment of white settler sex workers. So in so-called Winnipeg, this meant if an Indigenous person was suspected of selling sex, whether they actually were or were not, um, or like keeping a body house, they would be arrested and subjected to unpaid hard labor or forced to leave the city center. Um, that's something unique that happened specifically for indigenous people here. Um, so the historical violent and unjust treatment of sex workers in the city are not simply just injustices of the past. They mirror often in identical ways, uh, the treatment of sex work um, and sex workers to this day particularly in how sex workers uh, working outdoors are targeted, surveilled, and harassed. Thank you for giving us that, um, that history. Um, yeah, so if you could talk a little bit about um, some of the specific challenges that sex workers face uh, in organizing, and this can both be, um, you know, because of the role of criminalization in making um, organizing difficult, uh, but also uh, challenges in um, uh, the challenges that that uh, creates for groups like SWAC, as well as um, building solidarity with um, other people in the labor movement, other unions, and that kind of thing. Um, what uh, what are some of these challenges that you uh, face in sex worker activism? Yeah, um, so I think we face so much actually. Um, 
So as highly stigmatized and marginalized people, we're up against a lot and often from all different sides, right? That could be within our own movement, unfortunately, um, in the media, movies, the police, often our family, our friends, the state, banks, right? Um, but we are resilient and sex, um, the sex worker movement in Canada um, is decades and decades and decades old. We've been fighting for not only the decriminalization of our work, which Katie touched on in the introduction, um, but also the harmful immigration laws um, that target migrant and immigrant sex workers, um, which more often than not um, sees them deported um, when they are so-called, quote unquote, rescued um, in the quote unquote anti-trafficking raids that happen against them. Um, and, uh, and so all of that sort of brings us to the next thing that we're currently fighting um, and, and some important challenges and, and fights that we have, which is the anti-trafficking. Um, machine. Um, and so, um, so we do have challenges, um, but we persevere. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, we, we've talked a little bit about how like sex workers face unique challenges, like compared to other types of workers. Um, and then when it comes to organizing, you know, you've outlined a lot of ways that that's especially hard for sex workers. Um, but um, maybe we could talk a bit about some of the more specific ways that um, that sex workers are impacted um, by the state and other institutions. So, um, yeah, I guess first we could maybe talk a bit about the places that, uh, like, when institutions act like they're helping sex workers, um, whether that's, like, through the media, they they portray it that way, or even directly, um, but they actually maybe cause more harm than help. Um, so you know, this could be like academics, um, nonprofits. Yeah, would you like to talk a bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so really, all all of all of it um, is unhelpful and harmful to sex workers, um, especially. Um, the anti-trafficking context that we continue to find ourselves in. And here in Manitoba, it is, it is strong. Um, institutions are very unfriendly to us. Services that only seek to rescue us. Community organizations, health, um, health clinics, so-called feminist organizations, all supporting initiatives um, like John School, which we'll touch on in a little bit, or who support and demand, which some people will talk about a little bit as well. Um, so research that isn't community-driven, for example, which we see all too often in sex work. Um, it's very harmful, it reduces stigma, it causes our community trauma. Um, Specifically here in Manitoba, there's a, there's a recent announcement by the Manitoba government to provide $600,000 um, to um, research, to do a bunch of things, in, which included 
of research around um, what we would consider further entrenching sex work and sexual exploitation, like um, bias research projects. One in particular, they're going to be talking to clients to quote unquote find out why they're seeing us sex workers, right? And we know that that's with the hope to stop um, that and to point out the negative sides of it, right? And to just sway. Uh, who they call, quote, men and boys from purchasing sex. Um, so all of this biased research um, will simply further the stigma around sex work, will move us further away from what we truly need, which is labor rights and stigma-free society for all sex workers. Thanks, Amy. Um, I want to talk touch a little bit on the, like, the nonprofit industrial complex, I guess. Um, so the not so secret goal of federal laws, uh, so PSEPA, what Katie was talking about, is um, the ones that target in-person sex work is to end demand. And like the goal is to eventually stop all prostitution. That's never gonna happen, but they, they do try. Um, so if organizations um, don't share that same kind of end goal, they're super unlikely to receive significant funding. And we see this disparity here in Winnipeg, the only sex worker drop-in um, just called SHARE, um, where you can show up and not be pressured to leave or explain why you're working, which is obviously <laughs> for money. But a lot of places do, um, you need to explain yourself to like be there and access resources. Um, this drop-in has nowhere near the funding needed for sustainable, long-term, secure programming. Yet organizations whose goals are to spread awareness of sex trafficking, um, which they see and conflate as sex work, um, these places have that have never showed up for a sex worker on a bad day, even if they aren't identifying as such, it's like um, they're not there for them then. Um, for people who have lost their children due to sex work or who need um, harm reduction supplies, uh, these organizations seemingly have never ending pockets of cash. Um, I, and I think everyone at SHARE does an incredible job at working in these kind of conditions. Um, they find pots of money, know what to say in grants that please funders, but uh, I don't think they should have to work like this and resources for sex workers shouldn't be so gravely underfunded, um, but in Manitoba as it is, that they are. They are. Um, and kind of more generally, my thoughts are if, if no strings attached money and resources aren't going directly into the hands of our most marginalized and targeted community members, then it's just not a helpful endeavor. Yeah, so building on, uh, you know, or touching on different kinds of institutions and the um, uh, the sort of way um, they function. Um, can you talk about some of the challenges that sex workers face when making efforts to build power with other organized workers, um, such as unions or other labor organizers? Yeah. Um, so things are changing in this regard really slowly. Um, in some parts of Canada, some labor movements and unions are slowly recognizing sex workers' work. Um, of course, this is due to sex workers uh, consistently being on them for years about it, uh, to include us. Um, like not all sex workers want to be unionized, doesn't work for all sex workers, but to have labor movements and unions recognize sex workers' work is super important to have allies that do that. Um, however, for a really long time, um, and I would still say in many ways today and here in Manitoba, certainly, 
um, we're still locked out of these kinds of places and spaces. Um, I'm not sure if Sarah had anything to say about, about um, uh, union organizing, because I know you may have some stuff to share on that. So I don't really have much to share, just that like, um, you know, like this is something that we we want to do. We want to work with uh, labor uh, here. Um, it's been challenging to try to find people that are um, like <laughs> cool about sex work, to be frank. Like it's like, and it's it's just, it's not just in labor. It's just sort of like, Manitoba is really, really anti-sex work. Um, I think after um, the red light district, the prohibitionists uh, did a really, really like a lot of work to really, um, you know, uh, make people uh, super weird about it. Um, thinking about how there's like so many myths out there and and like you've mentioned um when you're talking about academia like there's bad research um and then in the media and through policing there's all these narratives around um trafficking and and how it kind of moralizes sex work um so maybe we could use this as an opportunity to debunk some of these myths um and then uh you mentioned the john school project earlier It'd be great to learn a bit more about that one specifically. Sure, I'd love to hop in. Just wondering how much time we have because I could go on for days. <laughs> um, one myth that absolutely drives me bananas is that the average age of entry to sex work is 13 years old. This is a very on-purpose misinformation from Melissa Farley, who I guess is technically a doctor, I don't know. <laughs> um, and Melissa Farley, uh, that was a study that looked at traumatized children under the age of 18. So that age of 13 was basically compiled with only researching children. Um, so there was no way that that number could have been over 18. Um, Cecile Benoit, though, did a study. Uh, a cross-country study that started in 2011 and it lasted for five years. And that actually found the average age of entry is actually 24 years of, years of age. Um, another narrative that I think I have a huge issue with me personally is as a 32 year old white privileged sex worker, I'm not allowed to ever have a bad day. You know, this is my job and this is work. And sometimes I wake up and I'm just not feeling it like literally every other human, <laughs> but I get up and I put on my fishnets one foot at a time, like everyone else, but the inability to be able to like, just complain and be like, man, today freaking sucked because I'm so scared of being portrayed as this victim or just being like written off and told to exit sex work, like you knew what you were getting yourself into. But then on the other hand, when I have amazing days, which, you know, are the majority of them, like I can't celebrate because God forbid, I seem like I'm glorifying sex work. So I feel very damned either way. Like I can't vetch and I can't celebrate. And I just have to like exist and walk around smiling and happy. And it's, it's honestly exhausting. Um, but I think that's probably where I'll end it for now. <laughs> so I could go on. <laughs> um, Sarah, did you have about John's school? Yes, I can talk a little bit about John's school. Thanks, Katie. Yay. Um, yeah, so I don't know if, um, like, I'll just talk a little bit about John's school generally, because maybe not everybody knows about John's schools. Um, so John schools were started sort of in the 90s. Um, they uh, were started in the US um, and there were 
some around Canada too, but they mostly have been shut down um, over the decades because there's been research done into them about how they're, they don't work. Um, they're super biased. So the one here in Manitoba, um, Winnipeg specifically, although it has uh, done something in Brandon as well, but um, it's called the Prostitution Offender Program. Um, we, like Danny Smythe was at a public event, Chief Danny Smythe um, was at a public event uh, one evening and denied the existence of sex workers um, when asked uh, a question about them. Um, he just said they don't exist. Uh, it's only exploited people. Um, like, because SWAC went to this public discussion um, and, and posed a question. And uh, so Danny responded that they don't exist. So people were really upset about that. SWAC asked to have a meeting with um, the Winnipeg police. Uh, we did. Um, and they, you know, to talk to them about language and about how important it is to like, at least acknowledge that sex workers exist and, you know, like, um, Anyway, um, as part of, you know, strategically trying to do other things in the community, this was one of the things that we did. And uh, they claimed that they couldn't use the word sex workers because other, you know, groups in Winnipeg were really like, sex workers are not choosing that, there's no way to choose that, everyone is exploited, and they, they claimed to, to feel very pressured, the police. Um, and so, but at that same meeting invited us, I think, to try to get information from us um, to the Prostitution Offender Program Advisory Committee meetings. Um, so we decided to send a member um, to the meetings. Um, we sort of figured that it was better to have someone there than not. Um, I but like again you know just trying to to be uh careful because like it, you know like not give any information or things like that because it's um it's dangerous for people obviously um and uh it's like when these things are about um arming sex workers essentially right like it's about um what they do is they do reverse sting operations. So the police will pose as a sex worker and then arrest someone who might be interested in purchasing sexual services. Um, and then if they don't have a criminal record, because um, they can't have a criminal record in order to qualify for the program, um, then they can be offered uh, this program called the, Pro uh, the Prostitution Offender Program, where they get to pay $800 um, and sit and listen uh, to all kinds of weird and uh, incorrect, like not factual information about sex work and uh, specifically sex workers. Like if they thought highly of sex workers before this day, they definitely come out of this day not thinking highly of sex workers. Like there's no way, it's a day of shaming and just like lies about all of it. So um, that's sort of the gist of, of John's school. Um, 
we've been doing some research on it. Uh, like I, there was um, someone uh, that we know who's an academic um, sort of recruited a bunch of us uh, like sex workers, part, like part of SWAC as well as other academics um, and got a grant. And so we have been working on uh, this thing called a critical analysis or critical inquiry, sorry, um, of the John School here, because it's actually never had an outside review done on it. It's run by the Salvation Army. Is there more to say about that, Amy? Yeah, I was just thinking like maybe like, like some of the stuff that they say in John School um, to, um, to the clients, um, some of the things that are concerning is that like what Sarah was saying about um, they, if they had a, a decent idea about who we were, who sex workers were, uh, before they went, went into this program, um, they're coming out with a lot of stereotypical stigma, fear, and, and in fact, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of heavy uh, weight played on well, sex workers. You are you are all. <laughs> there's a quote from one of them. You are all paying to you're paying to kill, you're paying to possibly kill yourself when you pay for sex. Um, so they're because uh, sex workers are diseased. Uh, they are going to murder you. Um, they use a they use a story about a Google executive in the U.S. who uh, had a drug overdose and died on his boat. He had hired a sex worker. They were using drugs together, but they framed it as though. Like in John School, this uh, person presenting, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, is a police officer? <laughs> um, am I wrong? It was a police officer, right? Correct. So I can't Sorry, you. I couldn't get off mute. No, you're, you're correct. <laughs> you're correct. It was, uh, it was the police. So the police are, are, are narrating the story, talking about the story, and like presenting it as though um, this Google executive was murdered by a sex worker. And you, could have been murdered also. So glad you're here in the John School and we're teaching you about these victims, but also murderers. Um, and so that's, you know, I think Sarah did a really great job covering that. And, and bef before I get into like the next part, uh, I am reminded during the PASEPA hearings, when they were having hearings um, in, uh, in the government, um, Manitoba Senator Don Plett, he said, this was in the Senate committee hearings on the new law. Um, he had a really interesting quote uh, that he said during the hearings, which was, quote, of course, we don't want to make life safe for prostitutes. We want to do away with prostitution. That is the intent. He's talking about the intent of the law, which, you know, touches on what Dallas was, was talking about and Katie was talking about. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that up. Um, and so um, moving a little bit more into some more of the um, debunking of myths and, and what we're talking about here, um, I just want to say uh, people, um, and sometimes well-meaning people, well-meaning, whatever that means, <laughs> um, uh, want to put sex workers in boxes. And sometimes that could look um, like, um, for example, um, people saying, not all sex workers use drugs, right? And on the surface, that could sound okay. 
you know? Um, or not all sex workers are unhappy, right? But the reality is sometimes we're fucking sad, as Katie was talking about. <laughs> and sometimes our jobs fucking suck. And sometimes they're okay and they're amazing and they're neutral, right? It's a spectrum. Um, and so like these well-meaning people who want to say, not all sex workers use drugs, right? I want to say sex workers use drugs and sex workers don't use drugs, right? Um, you do, um, you need to realize uh, sex workers are all different people <laughs> with different lives and experiences that are all valid, right? And all the ways sex workers work, indoors, outdoors, using drugs while working, not using drugs while working, um, all of that valid, right? Uh, what we charge, um, where we work. Um, so if you support sex workers, you need to support all of us in all of the ways. Yes. <laughs> that makes me double, double, double that. Um, I want off the ride. <laughs> Let me off the ride. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. Um, so I just want to, like another myth. It's like huge and we've talked about it because it's unfortunately like everywhere all the time when we organize and and other ways <laughs> just living our lives um it's like it's it's something that we're pit against and we have to fight all the time but it's just the conflation of sex trafficking and sex work um and this uh, attitude argument whatever is like distracts from what is actually helpful in terms of fighting trafficking and exploitation in all kinds of work and labor and particularly for migrant workers um, organizations like Butterfly and Swan and the HIV Legal Network are excellent resources that go further into depth than I will now on the, the, the web of this um, anti-trafficking complex. Um, but generally, sorry, this, this is a quote from HIV Legal Network. Um, what is needed to actually address the root causes of trafficking are strategies that are rooted in human rights and migrant rights. Um, and strategies that are addressed that address the numerous structural barriers, including poverty, precarious immigration status, lack of access to affordable housing, health, and social services. Um, so all of these things, addressing the things that actually contributes to the risks of human trafficking, um, and the kinds of anti-trafficking efforts and laws we see here in Manitoba and elsewhere, because there's they're happening everywhere, unfortunately now. Um, they're not getting into the structural, but more so they target people in already vulnerable positions, bring law enforcement into their lives and lead to the deportation of migrant sex workers. Um, yeah, our next question is, how can folks living in Winnipeg um, build solidarity with sex workers? Yes, um, I can give a, a few thoughts. Um, I think as a starting point, I believe evaluating internalized assumptions about sex work, who does it, what it looks like, is a really good place to start beginning so building solidarity. And so someone can be theoretically in support of sex work, but get hung up when things like parenting or drugs are involved. Um, and maybe obvious plug is also following SWAC, um, staying in touch with sex worker and migrant sex worker rights group is also an excellent place for allies um, to yeah, just know what is actually, what is going on and what will be helpful uh, for us. Yes, thank you, Dallas. Um, I would say um, really briefly, I would say listen to sex workers, but like really listen to sex workers. 
um, and touching on the um, Dallas side about internalized bias. You have to work on that shit. You have to start standing up and supporting sex workers in real and tangible ways, and you can't do that unless you unlearn what we have all been taught in society about sex workers. Um, and also, I would ask uh, folks to build solidarity. You want to build solidarity is to use your privilege, right? Be that in your community job or in your job in academia or in a position that you might hold in the community that's respected. Use that privilege to uplift the voices of sex workers. Oh, um, a great way to build solidarity. Maybe you live in an apartment building. If you notice that a sex worker is working out of your apartment complex, maybe you know you did not. <laughs> and you, you know, it's just as easy as that. Maybe you didn't. I always, we always joke all the time, and it's like, mind your fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> it costs nothing. And then yeah. this economy isn't that great. <laughs> Finally, something for free. <laughs> So we only have one more question left. So um, you've already told us a lot about different campaigns that SWAC has worked on in the past and that um, sex workers, you know, across Canada are um, like what stuff they're involved with. But um, if there's anything, any campaigns or projects that you'd like to talk about now, um, just for listeners to learn more about. Thank you. So I'm just going to kind of talk about sort of a whole bunch of things that we do. Um, so we do, uh, obviously, public education, which is just sort of ongoing. We do it in the community um, with like therapists, social workers, various interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary health teams, like all kinds of people that just kind of invite SWAC to give presentations. Um, so we do all that stuff. Um, in learning institutions with like medical students and nursing students. Um, we've been presenting uh, the John School research at conferences, so educating that way. Um, we were at a, like a criminology conference and uh, recently, most recently, the learning sciences conference. Um, and we had our very own conference um, when we were responding to and resisting the Salvation Army's exploitation uh, summit, this gross thing that was happening here. Um, um, and so we did our very own conference and we presented about the John School research there. So um, we try to do like a lot of uh, knowledge mobilization in like the wider kind of Winnipeg community. And like um, through a lot of that work, like we do a lot of uh, sort of building relationships with as many different groups and organizations as we can. Um, and uh, we've uh, presented to like city councilors and as delegations at city hall. Um, and uh, yeah, we work with like um, public health and harm reduction organizations. Um, we are currently um, running a drop-in two days a week uh, in the community. And if any of the listeners, um, you know, are super wealthy, say, or have any money extra at all that they want to 
help us uh, continue the drop-in with. People are always welcome to donate to SWAC. Um, and, you know, we can put that money into keeping the drop-in running. So that's a thing. Um, we create uh, zine uh, two times a year. Um, and so we invite uh, all kinds of sex workers and former sex workers to um, contribute to the zine. So there's all kinds of art and writing and different things um, in the zines. Um, and we currently have an event coming up. So we do lots of activism. Um, June 2nd is International Whores Day. Um, so we will be having an event for that. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to give the details of that or just see our social media, maybe just see our social media um, for the details. Um, and we always do things around March 3rd, which is the International Day for Sex Worker Rights. Um, and then we uh, usually also have an event around December 17th, which is the day to end uh, violence against sex workers. Um, and we do all kinds of like, you know, what we talked about harm reduction with the bad date list. Um, so we work with student lawyers as well, um, who provide us with information about the laws. We give them um, topics to research. So we've had them research around um, things around like parenting um, and, you know, like CFS and those kinds of things. Um, we've had them research things related to housing. Um, because, of course, you know, lots of things are criminalized, um, including housing, etc. So, um, yeah, we've have done lots of those things. And um, uh, we've been doing some work um, with uh, sex workers internationally, too. Like, we do national work with the Canadian um, Alliance, but we also have been working with a sex worker organization in Kenya who has visited us once. So we do lots of things. Um, and those are lots of the things that we do. <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah. Sarah. You really nailed it. I don't know how you pull that all out of your brain, yeah. but my God, thank you. Because I would be like fumbling over every word. No worries. <sighs> Thank you so much for your time and for, I mean, all the all the work that you do and the research that you brought to this interview. Um, it's like really fantastic. Thank you so much for the time yeah, and, the, and the platform and the amplification yes. of sex worker voices. Yes. Thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solidarity Winnipeg. But really the best way to keep in touch and follow what's happening in Winnipeg is to sign up for our newsletter at www.solidaritywinnipeg.ca. If you want to reach out to us directly with questions or comments, you can send us an email to info at solidaritywinnipeg.ca.